Welcome to Culture Eats Strategy. Eats Strategy. With your host, entrepreneur Jamie J. Jamie J. On this podcast, we unpack the most powerful, intangible culture. Culture. Culture is way more than a mission statement or words on a wall. It's how a company behaves. It's what informs every decision, action, and reaction. Culture is the invisible hand, the true north that guides every organization. And if you create a legendary culture, you will build a legendary company. A legendary company. Now, here he is, Jamie J. Hey there. I'm going to do a quick introduction here because I had an interview with Mark Groman directly following what you're hearing right now. It's already been recorded, but I wanted to come back because I did not want to waste the time in reviewing his bio and stuff like that while I had him on the line because it was just so impressive. And we had an unbelievable conversation. And what's really cool, in, in my opinion, about this conversation, or a little bit different, is that it was we kind of went down a different avenue. Um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that, about uh, privacy and information risk management and things like that. But we also went longer than normal. So brace yourself today because this is a, a bit out of the norm for me. You know I like to keep it kind of short and sweet, but uh, I couldn't, couldn't stop this conversation. I really hope you appreciate this. But Mark Groman is an internationally recognized expert in privacy and information risk management. He advises senior leaders in both business and government on complex data-driven initiatives. And Mark helps clients implement global privacy programs to launch new products and services. He conducts due diligence on potential partners, and he assesses privacy risks and responds to data security incidents. He also advises clients on policy, compliance, and enforcement matters related to the Federal Trade Commission and other government agencies. In addition, Mark teaches data breach response at Georgetown Law School, and he's actively engaged in the policy debate on federal privacy legislation in the U.S. In, in the U.S., His expertise in privacy has deep roots. As a senior advisor for the privacy in the White House, he had government-wide responsibility for privacy policy, and he chaired get this, the Federal Privacy Council established by President Barack Obama, and he was the privacy lead on the President's Cybersecurity National Action Plan. This guy knows his business. Prior to his stint in the Obama administration, Mark was president and CEO of the Network Advertising Initiative, and he was the first chief privacy officer in the U.S. Federal Trade Commission and counsel to the Energy and Commerce Committee of the U.S. House of Representatives. Now, Mark currently serves on the Privacy Advisory Panel of the National Security Agency, the Information Security and Privacy Advisory Board of the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and several other boards. He has received numerous awards and honors in the field of privacy, including the International Association of Privacy Professionals 2017 Leadership Award. He's a graduate of Tufts University and Harvard Law School. Mark is a frequent speaker on issues relating to privacy, technology, and innovation and conducts highly customized seminars and tabletop exercises for executives. In 2018, Mark launched a highly successful original podcast, Their Own Devices. And you can Google that. He's all over iTunes or whatever way that you want to listen to podcasts. Um, highly recommend that. Um, though this weekly podcast tackles the diverse challenges for MTV parents. That's 
that's us. <laughs> and the, the challenges that MTV parents face raising YouTube kids. So you can go check it out at thepodglomerate.com forward slash shows forward slash uh, their own devices. And uh, he is on LinkedIn, I think, at Mark Groman there. So go check him out there. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Um, again, this is me stepping out of what I'm becoming more and more comfortable in doing, which is the main reason I wanted to start uh, Culture Eats Strategy. So jump, uh, have fun, jump in, uh, get ready. Uh, this is going to be uh, pretty incredible uh, for anybody there who is wondering what the heck does personal information, privacy, and information risk management have to do with culture. Believe me, it has a lot more than you think. Stay tuned. Hello, it's Jamie J, your host of Culture Eats Strategy. And as you heard in the introduction, we are talking with Mark Groman today. Um, what an amazing and incredible background Mark has. And we had a nice discussion uh, pre-interview uh, before we jumped on here because I wanted to make sure that what we talked about today really resonated with those of you that are um, that, that understand that culture eats strategy. Strategy is important, but culture is the thing that you have to have in place before any strategy can be implemented. And what, I've, what I'm excited about today is I'm taking a little departure from our normal path and because this is something that is very, very important, but I think often overlooked, and that happens to be uh, security in this day and age. I think it needs to be embedded into our processes and our systems as far as culture is concerned. And what does that mean to you, Mr. CEO? That means everybody in your organization, all the way down, as Mark said in our pre-interview, to the security guard, they need to understand what that policy is, what that procedure is, um, to avoid um, ooh, some terrible things for happening. With that being said, please let me introduce you to Mr. Mark Groman. How are you, sir? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh my gosh, it's a definite honor, a privilege. Um, I did uh, tell everybody about who you are, give them a bit of background, but maybe you can jump in and, and maybe uh, just touch on a little bit about what you're doing now and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing. Well, now uh, I would say I'm uh, notwithstanding that I'm 48, uh, trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. But uh, <laughs> recently, my, my most recent gig was I served as a senior advisor for privacy. Uh, in the Obama White House, uh, and that was an incredible um, professional experience for me, uh, humbling and challenging and amazing. And so taking a little time after that uh, to, I don't know if I'm slowing down, but I am certainly trying out a few different things, teaching at Georgetown Law School, where I teach cybersecurity and, and data breach uh, for future lawyers. Uh, I'm writing, I consult. So I, I work with a lot of small companies now uh, around privacy and data security. And as we'll chat later, um, I started a new podcast that uh, sort of links my personal life with my professional life. And I've been having a ton of fun with it. And I got to say, as I contemplate next steps, um, if it's not fun, I'm not going to do it. Like that's my philosophy now. I love it. So you and I are the exact same age. Uh, I can appreciate, uh, I've definitely not gone down the same path you have, uh, but I can understand how you kind of want to 
maybe not necessarily slow down, but at the point in time where you're trying a little bit of different things out. So kudos to you uh, for uh, stepping out there and, and trying your hand at podcasting. It's a medium that I definitely love. Five years in the making, and it's just uh, a blast. It gets funner every every. Yeah, no one told me it was going to be this much work, dude. <laughs> Thank Make the it. Lord. Thank the Lord. I've had the editors and the writers. <laughs> right. This is the fun part. <laughs> um, well, so we had we had briefly talked. I, w- I want to talk about three different things. First of all, I want to talk about why uh, cybersecurity or our understanding the practice of security in uh, company culture is important. Second, I want to talk about maybe the experience of the culture you had in, in the White House. And then third, I'd like to talk about a little bit about your podcast, what you're doing there, and, and, and so that, that way I can kind of put a lay of the land out there for you. But first of all, I'm wondering, what does security have anything to, you know, to do with culture? Okay. And I want to make sure when we use the word security, we're using it in the context that I do, which is information security, information security, right? Or cybersecurity. Um, there are other kinds of security, but, but my world is, is data security. And in particular, my focus is information about people. We, sometimes we call it personal informational, personal data, personally identifiable information, but that is my area of expertise and looking at it from a legal perspective, a technology perspective, and then a business process perspective, or, or we could say it even you know administrative perspective. And in 2019, I'm hoping that most of your listeners know that I mean, data security is absolutely critical. And it's critical even for a small startup or you know, um, a smaller business or enterprise. It's not just an issue for Google and Facebook and Target, who, as we know, haven't done such a great job, Mm. but it's not just for the big guys. Uh, And so that's what's really important to understand. When we used to think about small business, what often comes to mind is Main Street USA, and it's, you know, mom and dad's uh, flower shop, card shop, or maybe the local automotive store, and we never thought about a lot of data. But now, today, a small business can be two people running a business or website from their home, but those two people might have data on 50 million customers, Mm. and they may be storing it in their house, it may be on a server, it is highly sensitive, it is highly valuable, and they, notwithstanding the fact they're a small business, two people getting started from their home, must and have to take into account the security of that information and the kinds of data they collect. It is the right thing to do. It is important for your business strategy, and it's also the law. So I think I, yes, I think one of the things too, I think from a, from a, from a perspective of a small business getting into it, it's really better for them to adopt this before they get too big um, and about the medium size or the larger companies, um, what are you seeing that's happening there? I, let me go back one real quick because right. communication is key. And right. a lot of times what the top, you know, the CEO, what he knows or she knows is so far from what someone that's entry level, the security guard, the, the person that's come around cleaning the offices, at, which was <laughs> a big security issue or, or problem in, in my opinion, but there's such a departure normally the larger a company gets. 
how do you how would you recommend or talk about you know the cultural communication uh, that is associated with information? So, well, one aspect that you already nailed is that this has to start with the top, mm-hmm. and that may mean the CEO, that may mean the board of directors. Um, a division head in a smaller company, it's likely your CEO. But the message that data security, protecting information and respecting people's data, that that culture has to be set from the top. Now, let me back up and talk about that in different size enterprises. Mm-hmm. Let's start with, I know we that the really small company, the startup, right? You're still a handful of employees and so you said it's really important then to bake security and privacy in from the beginning. Now, that is factually true. Now, I will tell you in, a, in reality, working with a lot of my clients in a startup where everyone is doing everything and working 80 hours a week and you're pouring your blood, sweat, and tears into this company, right? You're trying to get that first investment. You're trying to get it off the ground. Uh, you need marketing. You need sales. You need all these different things. Privacy and security, unfortunately, is not generally an early investment or an early priority. Mm. It generally comes in sort of in that second or third year when it's a little bit more difficult now to bake it in, right, to redesign the process or to think things through. But, But I understand it. I understand that when you're starting up, there's only so much bandwidth that you have. You don't have the resources to go hire your law firm or get a privacy or security guy. That said, we need to change that. You need to really think it through from the very beginning of the company. When you, when you buy your first servers, when you select your computers, when you select your online platforms, understanding the security that they provide, the resources, the settings you can choose, all of that is just so important early on so that as you add employees, as your business grows, as you expand, um, it's baked in and it grows with you. And you don't start looking at it after your first incident or after you have so much data you're not sure what to do um, is the wrong time. And we so can talk about some resources too. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was just going to ask you because one of the, one of the, this seems to me, I'm, I'm a small business owner. Right. Um, and to me, it sounds very overwhelming because I know nothing. I, I shouldn't say no, no. I'm I'm not an expert in any way, shape, right. or form for security. And exactly what you just said, marketing and sales and all that, that's consumed my life and, and the life of, of, of the staff here. I'm deathly afraid of hacks and things like that. Right. But I don't know the first thing to do about making sure that our company's information or the personal or client's information is secure. You know, I, I Right. And I also want to say, just so people don't get too concerned, privacy and security, what I'm talking about is that it needs to be reasonable for the size of your business and the kinds of data you collect. And so no one expects a small business to have the same kind of data security program or invest the same way a larger company. And if your data is not, you know, hospitals have sensitive health data. Um, Presumably, you don't have medical files on thousands of people. So you're not expected to have a program that is going to be of that caliber. It is intended to be um, specific to your enterprise, reasonable, appropriate. So I just want to get that out there so people aren't overly worried. Sure. One resource, it's a neat place to start. Um, there's a federal agency I used to work at called the Federal Trade Commission. 
The website is ftc.gov, and that's F, F as in Frank, T as in Tom, mm -hmm. uh, C as in capitals. Uh, I love it. <laughs> .gov, and they actually recently put out a video and a brochure called Data Security for Small Business. And it really will walk you, and, and you might not realize some of these things are very basic that I'm talking about. Uh, as I mentioned to you before the show, when you read about a lot of these hacks and data security incidents, a lot of times people think, oh my God, there must be some amazing state-sponsored, sophisticated adversary who spent years hacking in. The fact is, most breaches are the result of human error, like mm -hmm. your basic employee failing to do something basic. So let me give you examples. Just your basics, like strong passwords, right? No one should be allowed to have a password that is, well, of course, the word password. But if your password is still your first and last name or your name and your birth date, that's not okay. Like we need strong passwords that need to be changed. And you can't have the same password on all of your accounts. So you can do a password manager. There are things called two-factor authentication, which is more standard now, which is not just a password, but something else like a, a code you can get. Um, sent to your text, sent via text. Exactly. Yep. Learning that what phishing is, simply knowing that you should never click on a link in an email that you were not expecting. Full stop. Take that suspicious view of an email because that is how malware is still distributed. So it's these scams, they might look real, they're getting increasingly sophisticated. So don't click on that. Have strong passwords, have two-factor authentication. Those are some real basics. There are settings on all of your devices for security and privacy. I'm often surprised at how many people don't realize that there are privacy settings and security settings on whatever device you're using, Android or not, that can limit location sharing, access to contacts, those kinds of things. So starting with some of those basics are really important. Um, if you're a small home business, this may be a little difficult, but trying to not mingle personal and private, meaning maybe don't let your 14-year-old use your business computer for their personal Instagram account. That, you know, I've got a 13-year-old and that's nothing but trouble. <laughs> so it's not as, it's not necessarily as complicated. You know, I'm not talking about like building huge intrusion defense systems like NASA. A lot of this comes baked in, but you have to, A, set it up correctly, change default passwords, make sure it's on. For a small business, that will go a long way. And, and I, you know what I like about that is um, this is directly on the CEO, the managing director, whomever is in charge, but right. they can literally write the workflow out, the process and, and why, and then they can easily share that and distribute that to anybody that's new coming on board. So from right. culturally speaking or from, you know, a, a operations point of view, this can be implemented into every single culture relatively easily. And if you're small, you can get these resources online and make it, this you can do, make it part of training. So no new employee mm. should ever onboard, ever, um, without one hour of data security and privacy 101. Mm. I mean, they may not want to do it, um, but you know, go over these issues around um, password settings, two-factor authentication, making sure certain controls are on, um, what you can and cannot do with data, uh, what are your rules on taking things home, 
um, on, on not, you know, not allowing everything to be copied over and over and over, uh, shredding paper documents, you know, again, telling people from day one that this is how we handle customer data because we respect them. We don't want to lose their trust and it's important to us. I love that. That's great information. And yeah, the email thing, right? I mean, yeah. not clicking on the email, being cautious, um, you know, more broadly, even, you know, and a small business won't be targets of sophisticated attacks, but as you grow, you know, just having people unfortunately be cautious. Yeah. And it's just because a lot of people don't know what they don't know, right? Right. <laughs> I shouldn't say a lot of people. We as humans don't know what we don't know. And, and it's nice to be educated. Um, and that's why I think it's really good to put in an hour of data security and privacy training. I think that's fantastic. Other, other little basic tips for a small business. Um, make sure you um, have a password on your Wi-Fi, that your router is set up properly, that you don't do sensitive business at Starbucks over their Wi-Fi. It is not secure. Uh, so those are some of the real basics that if you nail them down, um, and by the way, I didn't say don't do work at Starbucks. I do, but don't do sensitive work. Don't, I don't type passwords over into an account at Starbucks. It's not secure. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, and so we, we are launching a new division where, uh, we're working with medical um, in the medical, or, you know, you know, medical assistants and things like that. And so we've employed uh, uh, some software that you cannot print it out. It'll blur the screens. Mm -hmm. um, so right. we're, we're very, obviously we have to be HIPAA compliant. So we're very adamant about that security there, but it's, I, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this up because hopefully uh, people that maybe not have thought about this before, they, they now make it maybe a little bit, a little bit more in the forefront of their mind. But yeah, even for that. small business, um, Really put it on your business plan. Uh, I understand it may not be first, second, or third, but uh, as you get more and more sensitive data, you're going to be expected and you're going to need to secure it. And from a privacy perspective, you need to know how you're using it. And mm. that's really important and it becomes more difficult as you grow. And so getting that you know, into your culture early on, which is, you know, whatever your business model is, uh, think about context. Um, people know they give you information if you're an online website and they're making purchases. Uh, I fully expect to give you my name, my address, and probably credit card information, which may go to you or a vendor, depending on how you're set up. Um, and I know you'll have it. And I may expect to receive an email from you, maybe a coupon, but I don't expect that you're going to sell my data to another company. Exactly. Um, or you know, use it for other purposes, right? And so it's it's understanding the context of the data you collect, having a privacy policy that says what you do and sticking to it early on and then building up that trust. Yeah, uh, that might be another thing. Have everybody review the privacy policy. <laughs> so well, I, you know, it's funny you say that, you know, a lot of small businesses, um, if you have an online presence and a website, um, most people understand you're supposed to have a privacy policy a lot of small businesses will go out and cut and paste somebody else's privacy policy and stick it on their website. That is the worst thing you could do because I guarantee you it's not going to be accurate or applicable. And if that's the case, then you're violating the law because you're actually, you're actually misrepresenting to people what you're doing. Wow. Your privacy policy actually needs to match what you do. 
Yep. And so making sure that that's true, that you understand it, um, and that you're all on the same page is critical. What would you, and you know what's, you know what comes, this is all fine and dandy. You can have all this stuff, but when there is a breach of some sort, right. holy cow, that's when all of a sudden you go, man, I wish I would have paid more attention to that in the first place. No, that's right. That's right. And let me also say, to give people more comfort, there is no such thing as perfect security. And so that is not what anyone is shooting for. Like you could have the best data security and there could still be a security breach or an incident, right? There will always be new and evolving threats. There are always going to be mistakes and errors. People, governments understand that. What you need to have in place is a reasonable plan and process and procedures so that you are defending against those most basic threats. But, you know, shit happens. You can read <laughs> that later. Yeah, yeah, but, no, that's what, but, that's right. Um, that's I have actually explicit, I have explicit on this on this podcast. So but that's actually a um a fact of life, right? Yeah. So you want to have the processes and procedures in place. Understand what you have. Make sure they're reasonable. Um, given the kinds of information you have, that's what we're looking for. Do, does part of what you advise on um, typically? Uh, in, in, in your business, do you advise on reputation management um, for, for, for post-breach efforts? Yeah. Well, like so I, I advise on data breach response. Okay. My, my particular expertise is helping the entity navigate the privacy issues around the data. So, mm. there, so you can you know, envision a data breach. There's going to be a very technical side, right? Mm -hmm. So I might lead the whole team, but I'll need forensic computer guys to come in and tell me what occurred. And first of all, contain the breach, stop the bleeding, and then tell me what happened. What was hacked? What was not? What do we know? What don't we know? What is the speculation? And I need to understand all of those facts. And then mm -hmm. I understand the kinds of data that may or may not have impacted. And then I produce a risk assessment based on all these factors and it's risks, not just for the company, but for individuals. So I think about if a certain kinds of information was compromised and is now being sold on the dark web, what risk do individuals face and what should we do to help them mitigate that risk? That, that's the role I take. There is a whole PR and communications element um, to this so that as you communicate with stakeholders, right? And mm -hmm. those stakeholders might be your employees, they might be your business partners, government entities, and it might be your customers. Um, you need to make sure everyone is singing from the same sheet of music. And, you know, once you lose control of your story, which happens most times, um, it's really hard to rein it back in. And so I work, you know, I, I do that for a small company, but, you know, making, I work with that and making sure that we're all on the same page, we're using the same facts. Um, we use words properly uh, mm. so that, you know, you give your partners comfort, but you also don't expose yourself to future problems and uh, liability down the road. You know, like um, we had the Equifax breach. I don't know if you remember that one. I did. Yes. Okay. So that is like, <laughs> that was massive. And that is now like the best case study for how not to respond to a breach. Mm. Like they just botched everything their communication strategy, their website, how they handled it. Um, I mean, I taught, I use that in my class for like what not to do because they just really screwed up 
the story, lost control. Um, I don't know what happened there. Um, but being prepared, right? Not, not for a small entity, but as you grow, you should have, you know, a plan in place. Like, okay, worst case scenario, um, we're a small business, we're robbed. My server walks out the door. Like, you know, think now about like, what are the first few things you might do? Yeah. So at what point uh, in the in the journey of business for a CEO might they um, be in a position to approach you for this? So that's really, really business specific. And yeah. it, it will depend on um, how data intensive your business really is. Okay. Uh, and so, oops, forgive me. Um, and so if your company really is all about data, um, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, collecting data on 50 million people and maybe it's particularly sensitive. And so you're getting biometrics, precise location data, health data. You know, you need to address this earlier and have more robust procedures. I would say if you are a, um, let's take a basic uh, e-commerce site. Mm -hmm. um, I sell, sell t-shirts, mugs, something like that. Uh, then your information is not of the same level you need to make sure you have your basic security. If you're working with vendors, they ought to have that in place. Okay. Um, you know, your cloud providers and the like ought to be able to walk you through that and help you have the right security for taking credit card or debit card information, collecting information from your consumers, shipping mm. things out. Um, that is not as complex because you should have vendors who can help you with it. Right. And then everything in between. Like the Stripes and the PayPals of the world. Right. 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 Uh, Amazon cool. Cloud, AWS, you know, yeah. all have different kinds of features about security. And, you know, it's not super easy when you look at it, but a lot of them have things now that are much more basic. They walk you through it. Um, I would say to any company, large or small, like know who you're doing business with. Uh, it sounds obvious, but there's a lot of garbage on the Internet. And that includes garbage vendors, right? Um, there are really horrible lawyers there are horrible privacy people. So a bargain isn't always a bargain. Mm. And so when you are setting up your website, when you are getting a server or a vendor to do credit card, like if it's really inexpensive, dig down, do your due diligence. Uh, because in fact, there's liability if you don't. Yeah. You know, if you hire someone to do a function for you and they're not qualified and they have a breach, it could be on you too. Yeah. Yeah. So check out your vendors. Good lesson learned. Right. Well, I, I wonder if maybe I could segue into uh, really quick talking about um, the, the culture, uh, your experience in the White House there and, and maybe touch sure. on that a little bit. So, again, um, uh, before I went to the White House, I was the CEO of a trade association. So I had my own staff and employees at a trade association. And then before that, I'd been in various government roles but never with a large staff. And, and then I went from being the CEO into, into the White House at a very, very challenging time. Um, and, you know, the White House, again, by the way, I'm not speaking about this current White House. Um, first of all, most of the offices are empty. And second of all, it's toxic. And my understanding is everyone hates each other anyway. So I don't know what it's like now. But my experience was, as with any other organization, there's a culture you have to learn. Mm. And... That, um, there's no handbook, right? Like, I didn't even have orientation. Literally, my first day, I went to a meeting 
and and this is a this is on me, but this is a true story, and it's a, it sounds like a joke, but like when I left the White House, I was at the exit interview, and they were telling me about all the benefits I had, and did I sign up and whatever, and I'm like, no one told me I had benefits. Like I had signed up for nothing. Like I came in in the middle of a crisis. I skipped orientation. I never went back. I never signed up for my insurance. Nothing. That's my fault, not theirs. But oh, wow. that cult- the culture was, it was just intense, right? You're going, it's crisis management. Um, and I was working with probably the most brilliant people I've ever worked with in one, you know, one area. And everybody is, uh, it's 24-7. It's moving forward quickly, um, trying to do right by the American people. Uh, and so there was an intensity to it. And everyone is not only accomplished and smart, but passionate about their own portfolio, which brings with it positives and negatives. Mm. And so, that you know, and I had a very unique position at the White House around security and privacy, which unfortunately could put me into a conflict with others. You know, people might say, well, I have an idea. Um, why don't we, you know, in order to make it easier for the American people to interface with the government, let's build one website and everyone can get one password and log in and do everything here. And it's interesting because it sounds compelling at first. And then I have to come in and explain why, um, first of all, technically it's difficult. And then to say, you know, having one massive database with all of our information presents very serious privacy and constitutional issues in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. Because the information you present to the US government to file your taxes should not be accessible to the FBI for law enforcement or the NSA uh, or to other agencies, right? Mm -hmm. It has a very particular use case. It's very sensitive. And so, you know, I'm the guy who has to sit there and tell some very high level people that your brilliant (laughs) idea is actually rather flawed and there are a lot of reasons why we may not want to go forward. Or if we're going to go forward, um, here are ways to do it. And so you're all you're, so telling that to somebody who is maybe the cabinet member or secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Um, you know, that person's very accomplished in their own right and doesn't like when they have to be expl- you know told like, well, here's why not. Um, yeah. And you have to respect that as the person. Right. So any CEO leader, you talk about culture, you need to understand your audience when you speak. Um, Now, sometimes I would forget that in a crisis moment. And there were many. And I don't mean necessarily crisis like a disaster, just high pressure, high intensity, fast moving. But you need to understand who you're speaking with always. And you Mm want to tailor your message so that it's understandable, digestible. Um, you know, it's the spoonful of sugar song, right? Saying no in a way that is um, as helpful as possible and calibrating. And so I would try and do that depending on the audience, the room you're in, what are the political ramifications. That was really important to understand um, uh, in the White House. And then... um, How long did it take you to catch on? I'm not sure I ever did. (laughs) But... You know, it's it's its own kind of environment. Um, there's a there was a lot of process, and that is frustrating, but it is necessary. Mm. You know, uh, it could take 
weeks to get your document to the president's desk. And it could be reviewed by 45 people between me and the president, literally, right? right? Because you want to make sure that everyone who's an expert weighs in, that all the lawyers have reviewed it, that it's important enough to make his desk. Um, So there's a huge process around documents that go to the president or documents that leave the White House on official stationery, making sure that it's well vetted, that all the issues and, uh, have been considered, all stakeholders have weighed in. Um, and and that also takes some getting used to. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I couldn't even possibly imagine. So so you said it was long hours. Um, yeah. And so when was this time uh, in your life? When did you do so that? So I came in to the White House um, April, uh, May 2015. And so I don't know, for, you know if all of your listeners will, will recall this event. But I was brought in at the moment that the Office of Personnel Management announced the data breach involving records of 22 million contractors and feds. I don't know, does that ring a bell? Uh, it doesn't ring a bell right off the top of my head. So there was a breach that involved data security files, um, security clearance files at the Office of Personnel Management. And so any of your listeners who may have been in the military or worked for the government are going to know this. Um, it compromised very serious material on millions of people. Mm -hmm. And so I came, and that's why my first day I went right into meetings because, you know, my first day was probably 16 hours. Oh, wow. um, From being read into the issue to getting up to speed to meeting with people. Uh, And that was, you know, one issue of an enormous portfolio uh, of things I was working on. So I came in at that moment and was there up until uh, the day, two days before the president left in January of 2017. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so this was recently. Um, and the reason I asked this is because for the next segue, I did want to talk about a little bit about your, your show there, your podcast. Um, and part of culture is managing. I am not a fan of work life manage, uh, management. I'm just not a fan of that. I'm a f- uh, work life balance. I'm sorry. I'm a fan of life balance. Now, Having a, 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 a such a demanding uh, position, and it's, it's so important, um, where it's going to take up a lot of time, plus having a family with a, 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 a preteen at home uh, during this time, I could only imagine how challenging that may be. And I think a lot of people, and the reason I'm bringing this up, and what does it have to do with culture? Because I do not believe a in lot. work-life uh, balance. I believe in life balance. So it, when you're away working, um, Children will play <laughs> while the you know while the cats away the mice will play that kind of thing. Um, devices come into come come into mind. Kids are on the internet. Kids are doing a lot of things that you may or may not be aware of. Um, so I wonder if maybe we can segue into uh, mm-hmm. what your podcast is about and and maybe how you manage that and 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 how you can relate that from a cultural yeah. aspect. I will. I'm going to give you one more anecdote about leadership and culture um, because it really does come from the top and. Um, there's a phrase for the spouses of people who work in the White House. They're called White House widows because there's an understanding that when you work there, you are almost married to your job because of the pace and the work um, and because you want to be, right? Mm -hmm. Like, What an honor and a privilege and a humbling experience to be there and to have an impact on our country. Like It's humbling and wonderful, but you, you do give things up to do that. Mm -hmm. And the leadership from the top moment comes from 
ir- irrespective of whether you agreed or disagreed with President Obama on many different things, um, you know, in my view, I, I found him to be a, an incredible man, inspiring. But when we would have events at the White House, whether it was a July 4th barbecue where we could bring our family or the Christmas party, you know, the president and the first lady would come out and he would come and meet our families and he would look them in the eye and say, thank you. Thank you for allowing your spouse to be here because I know what they do here and I know it's a sacrifice for you and I, I want to thank you. And I got to tell you, that was really powerful to hear mm. from the leader of the United States to your spouse. Um, and they appreciated it and it helped everything. When I would come home, I would get slightly less crap because they understood how much my boss appreciated it and what we were doing. And, and so that's leadership from the top in a really um, non-obvious way, perhaps. Like that doesn't, you don't learn that in business school, I don't know. No. But, but that was very important. Yeah, I think appreciation is huge. Um, and it, it says something about his character. Um, yes. I don't care what you, whether or not you agree with his politics, it doesn't matter. But as uh, from a personal level, um, the character level, I should say, that's, that's, that's what really drives us home. He was, um, they were extraordinary. And I, I felt that, right. I just, um, you know, of course you're, 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 what's the word? I mean, the first time you're there in the room with the president, obviously you're nervous and, <laughs> and he just puts you at ease so fast, although he's tall and I'm short and I always hated that, <laughs> but, um, only because he would be tall and all the secret service agents were tall and I was Sure. But just get them on their ice rink there and uh, we're good. Right. I needed a stool. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for that anecdote. Is that, uh, I, I really appreciate that. That's, um, it's a fantastic, uh, introspective of, uh, something that you've done that can, can be carried on to any organization, uh, any leader. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's the way you said it. I, I try and do that. Show your appreciation be, and do, he was, you know, be sincere, right? We can all spot yeah. BS, can't we? You know, well, why not be? <laughs> why be insincere? Like, well, I don't have time for it. Just yep, yeah, yep. I, I, I totally agree. So, 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 okay, go ahead. Yes, the podcast transition. You know, it, it's not obvious that I, why I'm doing this, and uh, and it wasn't obvious to me I would ever be doing this. But you know, so I obviously left the job and took a few months off, and really did focus on the family. Um, and in particular, my son, uh, who was 12, and had a really nice opportunity to be PTA dad and be in the classroom and be with him and his friends. You know, I would try and do that in the White House, but let's face it, even when I went to a baseball game, I had three devices in my hand and I was that dad on the side taking phone calls. It was never a great role model. But now I had time and I would see, um, you know, he and his friends and what they were doing. And he, you know, it all started when he asked me for Snapchat and he was 12 and his friends had it. And I went on and I looked at it and I read privacy policies, which he hated. And I just said, you know, this is not for 12 year olds. Um, and I looked at what his friends were doing and there were some pretty problematic things going on with their own social media and accounts and gaming. And then I, you know, I I was talking to some parents about it and they were clueless. I I mean that in the most, loving and respectful way but some of the brightest people i know were absolutely clueless about what their kids were doing 
how technology worked, what social media was, uh, or, or anything, right? They, you know, they would get their kid this new iPhone and here it is, Merry Christmas, but it didn't come with like rules or a lesson on how to use it or what can you download? You know, we don't give our kids cars without education. Um, a smartphone is a supercomputer in your hand. You ought to tell your kid. But so, so that just led to all these discussions. And uh, I think, as you know, I'm married to a pediatrician who is an adolescent medicine specialist who looks at these issues, not from a cyber perspective, but from anxiety, social developmental perspective, sleep deprivation, mm -hmm. other issues. And this is the way this all really started was we were asked to be on a panel at a PTA meeting. It wasn't what I, we really wanted to do, but you never say no to a PTA president. That if your kid's in the school, like you never, right? You can say no to the president of the U.S. before you say no to a mom who's running the PTA. So, <laughs> so, so we agreed to do a presentation about digital life and kids. And the funny thing is we show up for the presentation on a panel. The rest of the panel didn't show. So it's just us. Um, and so the two of us talking about these issues from our perspectives, our own life, our own home. And it turned out to be uh, a very funny and fun night. And that led to a whole bunch of people saying, like, you guys should take this on the road. Like, you have the knowledge, you're top of your field in adolescent medicine and privacy and cyber, but your dads, your parents, you get it. Um, and we haven't heard it presented that way. Mm. And so we did a test run of a podcast. It was not great, but we did a test run. It, it, it was like, you know, before we had this one, it went well. And so in September, we had the idea, like, let's do it. So we've now released 10 episodes. Congratulations. Um, it's, called, it's called Their Own Devices. Uh, it's the podcast for MTV parents raising YouTube kids. Wow. So it, it's for parents, you know, who are, you know, some, some did grow up, you know, with digital. Others, you know, internet was new depending on your age. But the kids we're raising today are the first generation who are born digital. They don't know a time without social media and smartphones and internet-connected devices. It's their world, and they view it differently, and they're ahead of us. And it's creating some pretty enormous challenges. Yeah. And the thing is, I love tech. Like, I, I, it's important for me to say that. My entire house is wired. I've got more freaking laptops in this room and MacBooks and game consoles. I'm not a, I'm not a technophobe, but there are issues. There are problems, yeah. particularly if you hand this over to a kid without teaching them first. And so that's what the podcast is about. It's about how to help our kids have a healthy, positive, beneficial relationship with technology and digital content and how to try and avoid some of the bigger pitfalls that we read about in the news every single freaking day. Well, and uh, so just so I can align what this has to do with culture is I think coming home, it, working so hard, not being at home, like I said a little bit earlier, that opens up a lot of opportunity for children, preteens, teens, whatever it is. Um, and I, I told you in the, in the um, pre-interview, one of my friends had told me, um, this is a major concern for children. Uh, Cyberbullying creeps in and stuff like that. And what is this going to do uh, to your work life if something goes tragically wrong? Uh, dare I say tragically wrong? But even, even, even something that dis disturbs uh, the home life, um, that's going to mess up. Uh, well, I want to link it to culture even more than that, actually, because it is about establishing a culture in your home just like it would be in your office 
and mm. and you know um i'm i'm pretty much one guy it's like here's mark what you see is what you get some people i know are very good at having a work persona and then they're different at home or in social settings i don't do that i'm pretty much this is it sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't believe me but it's, you know, <laughs> hey, i'm just this is me and so it's about this having that culture at home it's about in the same way if you're a ceo you lead by example as a parent you lead or role model by example if we mm. want our children to not be addicted to devices and not use them at the dinner table, then we shouldn't, right? We should demonstrate the right way to use it. We should understand the tech. We should read the privacy policy and the settings and demonstrate the right kind of way to interact with tech in the same way. It's about, you know, I mean, maybe culture is, I think culture actually is the right word, home or, or work. Yeah, because it's, it's all about behavior, right? It's all about behavior. And so the culture in my home is there are no devices in your bedroom. Period. So there is no reason for a 13-year-old to be in their room. Oh, I, need, I need to stop you for a second there. Okay. Yep. So good for you. Hats off to you for, okay. for doing that. This, this is huge right here. Um, how did you get a preteen or a teenager to embrace this home culture of no devices in the bedroom? So let's see. There's um, there are many ways to answer that. There's the, there's the way I want to answer it, which is, you know, I thoughtfully sat him down and had a mature discussion and made him understand. Um, you know, that wouldn't be honest. Um, but it's a rule. And so there are consequences for not honoring that. Also, there are no chargers in his room, period. All the chargers are in a different room. There are no cords in his room. Now, can I tell you that the phone doesn't make it in there at times? It does, but the default is it's not there. It is yeah. never there at night. It can't be charged in his room. Um, and that's key. Never, the, the devices should not be charged there overnight. And, you know, I'm not saying, and by the way, let me be more clear. If, if he has his Chromebook he received from his school to do homework, and that's in his room during homework time, that's okay. My point was, you are not allowed to charge your devices in your room at night or ever. They are to be in a different room. Certainly, the game consoles are not in the bedroom, sure. and they're absolutely not there at night or overnight. Wow. Fantastic. Good, good for you, because that's a... Hmm. Uh, Let me tell you that nothing good comes from a teenager having a smartphone in their room at midnight with the door closed. End, end the story, full stop. There is no good outcome. Mm. Amen. I like that. <laughs> well, good for you, because uh, that, that's, uh, that is a challenge many, many, just like you said, half the parents, they go and they, okay, happy birthday, Johnny. Here's your, here's your uh, iPhone XX. Uh, have fun. Um, oh, we can't, wait, we wait, have to stop years doing old that. Now. You've got to go take a driver's test. You have to become educated on how to drive. But Here's your phone that is. <laughs> well, well, we have to understand, right, as adults, and your audience is probably people of different ages. And so if you're in your mid-20s, you may be rolling your eyes. You don't have a kid yet who's, you know, seven or eight, or maybe if you're older, you do. Um, but the fact is, teenagers or tweens, right, you know, we're talking about individuals who 
are programmed to do stupid things. Like it's almost mm. a teenager's job, right? Mm. You take risks, you have bad judgment, you don't think through long-term consequences. Look, I did really stupid things in high school. Like, it's not like I didn't. I just didn't have a smartphone to record it. But I may have broken a rule or two along the way. In fact, if I had a smartphone and recorded it, I probably never would have had my job in the White House, you know? <laughs> so thank God there was none. Yeah. But kids are programmed to do stupid things. It's developmentally appropriate. So to hand them the smartphone, by the way, my son's phone, he has no administrative rights. He cannot Ooh. download anything unless I allow it and give him permission. Uh, and I restrict it. So I have all kinds of controls. But if you're not doing that, you're, it is, it is, you are asking for an issue because they're programmed to test boundaries. They're programmed to try out risks. What 13-year-old boy isn't going to try and find porn? They're programmed to do that. Yep. And it's not necessarily horrible if they find some of it here or there. But at some point, there are going to be problems if it's not reined in and you're not talking to them about it. Sexting is a problem. Cyberbullying. You know, the problem was I'm talking a lot. Should I stop? I mean. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm down with this. I think, I think this is great. So think about, you know, a, a problem that we have, and this is true as adults as well which my team loves to point out because adults also do stupid things. Um, mm -hmm. But I'll raise my hand but, again. <laughs> but kids, when, when kids are looking at a screen, they feel that there is less risk. It is somehow safer. They will post things on a page or send a text that they would never say to a person face to face or engage in conduct. They would never do with actual people. But because they're looking at a screen, then it sort of dehumanizes it. 100%. In, fact, in fact, your text or your tweet or your photo will not hurt any less. And in fact, because it's digital data, it's there forever and can be more harmful. So, so teaching kids that this is great. I want you to have a phone. You're a young adult. It's time. But, you know, your offline values and common sense don't go away when you're online. If you wouldn't do it offline... Don't do it online, uh, and we have to teach them that. Yeah, yep. I couldn't agree more. I think, and and I think there's a way, um, especially for these adolescents, these preteens, these teenagers, um, telling them to do something often drives them in the opposite direction. That's right. Sharing with them and helping them see what could ultimately happen and what you're able to help, as long as you can keep them within the you know, the boundaries of the roadway instead of right, right. in that lane. Um, I, there's a, there's a, yeesh, it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a. And so the way you're framing it is correct. So let me be fully honest with you and your audience. Like I'm not great at that. Um, uh, and maybe in all of your homes, you have this where there's a stricter parent and a less strict parent. I mean, I am the stricter parent. I'm a former federal prosecutor. I believe in rules and consequences. Um, you know, I know when you're lying and I will depose you and get to the truth. Like, I'm going to do that. But to your point, like, that is not the way to approach these issues. And what you need to do is start by saying, like, look, whatever age you are, like, I want you to have this phone. And I think gaming is cool. And, you know, some time on YouTube is great. And there are all these things out there. There are rules, right? There's common sense. There are things you don't do. There are things you can do. I want you to come to me with questions. Um, if you see something that concerns you, I want you to ask uh, and try and build that up. 
Um, we, we have that to some extent, we've gotten some good questions and he's shown us things other times, um, less so. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there isn't a 13 year old out there who wouldn't binge watch YouTube, you know, until like collapse. It's their (laughs) programs, right? Yeah. And it's not like they're watching national geographic. My son could watch somebody else play Fortnite on YouTube for Mm -hmm. hours. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying there. And you do have to take this super serious. Um, you're, you're helping someone prepare for life. Uh, so it's, it's, not, it's not a short order. It's a very tall order. So um, kudos to you for doing what you're doing. And I, I appreciate um, you taking the time to share what your knowledge is um, on your podcast. So- I'll also say we try and do it in a way. So we looked at parenting podcasts. Like, I, I don't want to offend anyone here, but we looked at a lot of them. I couldn't find one that I thought was like really good on these topics. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be, no one wants to be lectured to Like we don't, we don't even have all the answers. Like we just don't. Every kid's different. Every situation is different. So we, it's like, I want you to feel like you're sitting at a kitchen table with us. We bring on guests. We bring on kids and high school kids, other parents, authors. And, and we talk and we, we, there, there's no BS here. Like I don't want, you know, we get right to it. Here's the truth. Here's what's going on. We're pretty honest about our own shortcomings, the mistakes we've made, um, because it's, that's the only way we're going to do this. And we, we try and make it fun. So you're sitting there in your car, you know, you can laugh, you can roll your eyes, you can laugh at me, <laughs> with me. I don't care. I love it. That's fantastic. Well, well, as we're getting time to uh, wrap here, I do want to respect your time. Thank um, you. How do people get in touch with you? Uh, learn more about you, what you have uh, going on. Great. Yeah. So the podcast is their own devices uh, and you can find their own devices on every platform. So wherever you're checking out your podcast, um, it ought to be there. Um, and uh, 10 episodes so far and they're fun. So I hope you really will check it out. Um, and then, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't, I told you I, I'm still figuring out what I'm going to be. So I don't have a website and I'm not really, uh, you know, everywhere. Like you would think I'd give you all this information and have a pitch, but I don't. You know, because <laughs> so LinkedIn, you'll see me and my background and you can get to me there, uh, their own devices. The, the email for that is hello at their own devices podcast.com. Uh, check it out. And we want to hear like if you have an idea we're we're looking for funny guests, you know, we don't bring in rock stars like this happened to me. What can we learn from it? All good. So so you are looking for guests then? Yeah, we, we, we do. We, I want to I want all different perspectives. So Perfect. it's really important to me, right? The last thing you want is a bunch of like DC wants pontificating. <laughs> I mean, who the hell wants that? I don't. So, so we're looking for, you know, dads of different backgrounds and different socioeconomic groups. And, um, you know, the truth is people approach it differently from cultures. And David sees this all the time, you know, different cultures approach issues around sex very differently. Yeah. And that impacts the online world very significantly. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mark. It's been a, a privilege getting to know you a little bit better. Super uh, fun. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I've, I've learned a ton, and I, I just really appreciate you taking the time. It's, it's been fantastic. Well, I enjoyed it well, and all the best. Thank you so much. Hold on one second. I'll go ahead and wrap up. Uh, my name is Jamie J. Here's another episode of Culture Eat Strategy, uh, where we do lead with kindness, uh, talking with Mark Groman today about Uh, information security, and of course his podcast. Uh, Definitely go check it out. It uh, is called Their Own Devices. And if you want to be a guest, 
uh, I'll reach out to them at hello at their own devices. I'll put all this in the show notes so you get everything. Thanks so much for tuning in again. This is your host, Jamie J, with another episode of Culture Eat Strategy. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you soon. 